Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Before we go to today's message, we want to invite you to check out our website, www.harvestagokc.com. Again, that's harvestagokc.com. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, I'm excited about this morning, excited about this new series that we're starting as we talk about words, the words of God, the words of Jesus, the words we to live by, the words that change everything literally, as we dig into this, we're going we're gonna to have fun. It's going to be a fun series, but it's going to be challenging, and it's going to get right in the middle of where we're at. And I'm forewarning you, there may be parts that you don't like. There are parts I don't like. Jesus didn't ask me my thoughts and opinions before he wrote the scripture. Some of these words that we're going to look at and the verses we'll be looking at, had he asked my opinion, I would have told him not to put it in there. Life would be a whole lot easier in the natural if if he would have maybe left some of these out. But you know what? We're not supposed to live a natural life. We're supposed to live a supernatural life. Amen? We are spiritual beings having a physical earthly experience. This is temporary. We're just passing through. Amen? And so when we keep that in focus, it helps us to really grasp what he's doing in our hearts and in our lives. So today, as we talk about the words of Jesus and some of the things that he said, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Mark chapter 6. It's where we're going to end up. Several verses will be on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, you can stick a marker there and we'll get there in just a few minutes. Now, I remember a story as a kid about this little kid named Billy. Billy is probably not his real name. It would be a name in a persona that we can all recognize. Billy is the scrawny, runt kid who constantly gets into fights. Always. It's like every other day he's in a fight. He's in a fight because he's always running his mouth. Now, don't think back or start pointing at your brother or sister thinking, yep, this is the way it was for you and I. You don't know how the story's going to turn out. Billy, known for all the fights that he would get into, One day, Billy, here he is again, face down with with a kid that he is just running his mouth at. And the kid looks at him and says, Billy, if you don't shut your mouth, I'm going to kick your tail. Billy says, bring it on, big boy. He says, Billy, I'm a black belt in karate. I'm going to hurt you if you don't be quiet. I don't care what color your belt is. I'm going to whip your tail, Billy says. To which the black belt says, okay, Billy, bring it on. And proceeds to give Billy the worst whipping of his life. It took months for Billy to get over this beatdown that he took. Because a black belt knew exactly where to inflict the most pain. He knew exactly where to strike him, exactly which armbar to press, how to kick. He knew all of the details of how a fight was supposed to work. And he used it to inflict the most pain. Now, when we talk about it from that perspective, we're like, man, yeah, I remember that. And most of you are thinking back to your scenarios with your brother or sister as a kid, right? And you're thinking, yeah, I was the one that gave my brother that. My brother and I, we still have fun fights and arguments about um, who won all of the fights as a kid. All I remember is there was only one real fist fight, and he's the one that ended up with a bloody nose. And I remind him of that and his boys of that, and I love it, right? You, I'm sure, do the same thing with your family. 
The problem with this scenario, though, of Billy and the black belt is most of the time, we're not Billy. Most of the time, we end up being the black belt with our words, and we know exactly where to press buttons and what to say to inflict the most damage. Whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, obviously had never been in in a fight with someone else who was better than them with their words. Now, I know people that, I mean, they're good. They're ninjas with their words, right? I mean, like, they hit you and sting you faster than you can realize you've been hit. I mean, all of a sudden, you look up, and you're like, I didn't even know I was bleeding. And you're like, yeah, gotcha. We know people like that, right? Words hurt. Words leave a lasting mark. Words leave a lasting impact into our lives. Words are very powerful. In fact, they're so powerful that Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. It'll be on the screen. It's out of the message. It says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down and the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. It's fixed on the rock. That's what putting the words of Jesus, importing them into our lives, that's what it does. It creates this scenario when we live by his words. Because Proverbs 18.21 is a beautiful verse that tells us exactly the way this is supposed to work when it said that the tongue can bring death or life and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Those who love to talk. We know people that love to talk, don't we? Again, no pointing. Don't, don't be elbowing your spouse, person you came with. Yep, that's you. You never be quiet. See, here you go with your words again. We all know people that are in that scenario. We know it's the political season, right? Words abound everywhere. Here's the beautiful part, though. These words that Jesus gave us can make, break, shape, build, destroy everything that we face in life. His words can build us up, they can encourage us, they can can bring us to a point of conviction, they can bring us to where we know, because words are important, they're powerful, and we've got to take into consideration the power of our words. Now, now, uh, uh, really smart people, they tell us that there are about 800,000 words in the English language. 800,000 words, 300,000 of those are jargon, technical jargon, medical words that nobody can say, right? Your doctors don't even know what it is, that's why they scribble, right? There's technical jargon that abounds. So that leaves about 500,000 words for each of us to use. Sounds great, doesn't it? Of those 500,000 words, the average person has a vocabulary of approximately 10,000 words. Just because someone talks a lot doesn't mean they have an extraordinary vocabulary. Think about your kids. They use lots of words, but they're the same words, right? The average person uses, they know 10,000, and they actually use 5,000. Now, when my, when my little girl, Cecily, was a baby, she was the only one of, of our kids that did it this way. When she was a baby, her first word was mama. Not because she was actually saying mama, but because everything was mama. 
When she was hungry, mama. When she was dirty, mama. When she was hungry, mom. You're catching on, right? When she wanted her daddy, mama. Kind of took exception with that one, you know what I'm saying? Everything was mama. Everything. The dog, mama. That's not mama, uh-uh. The dog didn't make your plate, child. The dog ain't going to change your diaper. Keep saying mama and mama will change your diaper. Don't expect daddy to do it. Mama. It's a word that she knew. It's a word she used for everything. Mama. What happens, though, at about, you know, that 18-month window, audiologists tell us that the vocabulary of kids begins to accelerate significantly. It's, it's pretty amazing at how fast it changes. By the time a, a baby is 18 months old, they acquire a new word at the rate of one word every two hours. Every two hours, a new word. By the time they reach two years of age, the average toddler has a vocabulary between 1,000 and 2,000 words. And between two and two and a half years of age, they can form simple sentences. Between two and a half and three years of age, they acquire rules for syntax and tense. And the amazing thing about this is they're not even trying. No one's sitting down with them and saying, no, you've got to use the proper tense of that word. They just learn it. It just happens for them as they grow, as their mind expands. And, and, and the, the, the audiologist Jeffrey Cowley said that picking up a new language as an adult is about as simple as picking up a truck physically. Yet virtually every child in the world succeeds at it without any conscious effort. He goes on to say that by the age of three, most kids are generating sentences that they have never heard spoken and using them to alter the contents of other people's minds. That's the power that kids have and the power that words have and how we learn to develop them. The difficulty is if it's hard to learn a new language, the same thing as picking up a truck as an adult, that same thing is true of learning the words of Jesus. It's not easy when our life has been ingrained with a particular flow of verbiage. If we can get the words of Jesus worked into our life as the everyday foundation, like he said there in Matthew chapter 7, if we can get it worked in as the foundational pivot point that everything else goes from, we can build a house spiritually that can stand a tornado. A house that if an F5 storm that the devil can spin up can throw at us, it would be able to withstand it. Why? Because the foundation is solid and rooted in Jesus. And our vocabulary has to become what Jesus said it was we've got to begin to put that into practice and learn it it's ironic to me how many adults longtime Christians who've been in and out of the church for years struggle to input Jesus words into their lives now each of us like psychologists tell us we verbalize words at the rate of 180 words per minute. 180 words per minute. It's pretty fast, right? You know what's even more amazing than that? The term that psychologists refer to as self-talk or the unconscious vocabulary that goes on in our mind operates at 1,300 words per minute. We're able mentally to communicate what we think and believe internally at 1,300 words per minute. It's pretty important that we get Jesus' words buried deep in our heart. 
so that that becomes the overflow of our mouth. That's what Jesus taught us, right? That these words of mine are to be what we live by. They're to be the very sustenance, the very substance of who we are. And the words that we use, his words, are to be what we live by. Every aspect of it. He is the bread of life. He is the water for our soul. He is everything we need. He is spirit. He is bread. He is life. He is everything. And we've got to get those words buried deep down in. What did Psalm say? Psalm 119 verse 7. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. How are we going to get Jesus' words down inside of us? We've got to start to ingest it. We've got to start to read it. We've got to start to meditate on it so it becomes what our self-talk, the internal wording of of our, our spirit man, is constantly filled with his words. It's important that we get it that way. Today we're going to look at the word courage. We're going to look at the word courage today. It's important that we understand God's word says we're to have courage. It's important that we understand as we look at courage, the importance that he said don't be afraid. The importance of saying, you know what, I'm going to do it the way Jesus said I'm supposed to do it. Now, I'm, I'm kind of uh, of this opinion. When I look out on the, on the horizon of our society, it's a pretty scary place right now. Don't you agree? Would, would you agree? When I look out there, I kind of go, man, I feel like we're... It seems like the media would want us to believe we're on the brink of a civil war. The media would want us to believe that we're on the brink of complete catastrophe and calamity, that the market is going to fall apart, and that everything we know and hold true is going to be gone. Depending on who you listen to, if you listen to talk radio, if you listen to uh, 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 the liberal left or the religious right, you you can find guys and girls who are all saying the same thing but from opposing views. We could stand there and say, nope, they're right, nope, they're right. I can agree with that, I can agree with that. And find ourselves literally with a foot in both camp if we're not careful. What we've got to remember is that Jesus is the one who wrote the beginning from the end. He's the one that puts all of this in play. And we should not be those who shrink back and are destroyed, according to Micah 7, hey, but are those who believe and are saved. We've got to stand in his word and what he said and see his salvation come to pass. So when we talk about courage, Jesus said, have courage. Well, what is courage? How many of you have ever heard this quote? It's going to be on the screen. It says, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to act in spite of it. Have you heard that phrase or something similar to it? Well, when I looked up that quote, because I've heard it pretty much all my life in variations, I found that quote attributed to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Nelson Mandela, Bruce Lee, which I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, if you're Bruce Lee, do you really need to have courage? You just whip everybody's tail anyway. That's a whole different story. Bruce Lee, Ambrose Redman, and Carly Fiorina. Those were, that was just in the first four rows of the images. I just I pulled up an image search. I thought, I'm going to find the quote. It'll be out there. And then I saw, well, there's some there's about four different, five different people in a matter of four rows that it's attributed variations of that same phrase. And I thought, I, I wonder what the deal is. Why is everyone so captured by this, this beautiful quote that courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the, the ability to act in spite of it? What makes this so unique? Could it be because maybe there's an absence of courage and a plethora of fear to go around? Could it be that we are so attracted to to people who are able to actually put it into practice that it really summarizes what we love and what we hope to be? 
Could it be we're drawn to that? We resonate with superhero films, right? We resonate. We, we love the good guy character in all of the superheroes, whether it's uh, if you've seen Braveheart or Gladiator or uh, any of the, the superhero kind of, even, even not superheroes, but like uh, those are real, real history types, but the superheroes, Batman, Superman, um, all of those, we resonate with the, the superhero type of film because that's what we're called to be. You're called to be a hero, someone who rises above the fear that would come at us, but unfortunately many of us settle for boring lives, so we flock to movies to find the image of a thrill that is a hint of what we were born to accomplish. This is who you are. You were born to be a hero. Your destiny is to overcome. Proverbs, uh, I'm sorry, Psalms 18.24 in the message says this, that God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. See, regardless of where you are at, regardless of what the previous chapter of your life looked like, God, when we open up the text of our heart, he will rewrite the script to your life. Regardless of what yesterday held, what the last season of your life may have held, God is the one who will write the script for your tomorrow. Open up your heart to him and allow him to write it full of courage. Allow him to write it full of faith. Allow him to write it full of self-control. Allow him to write it full of what he has destined for your life to become. Don't let the last chapter define the next chapter. God's the author. Jesus is the director, and the Holy Spirit is the equipper. Allow him to deposit everything you need in your life. In Mark chapter 6, we find the story where Jesus sends the disciples out. They're on the boat. The waves are, are tossing the boat to and fro. The wind is whipping down off the mountain, and it's causing just a crazy storm upon the disciples as they make their way across. He's just fed the 5,000, and here they go. They go out into the boat. We get down to verse number 50. Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples are looking out, and they're scared to death. They're terrified because they think for sure it's a ghost, and they cry out. Isn't that what we do? Man, let's just call it like it is. Man, we see a storm. We, if you haven't been terrified lately, you should come up here one night really, really late by yourself. I'm just saying, there ain't no place freakier than an, an empty church. These buildings will creak, wind will blow, and all of a sudden you will think you for sure heard somebody running in on the rafters in the attic. And you kind of pause, your heart skips about five beats, not just one. You're doing everything you can not to wet yourself because you're sure you heard the door slam shut. But the alarm is set, so there's no way anybody's in here or out of here, right? You know, you come. There, there are not too many places, you know, that hey, I believe in a person's right to carry a firearm if that's what you so choose. There are not many times I've ever come to this place at night that I don't come packing. I will kill a ghost, you know what I'm saying? Homie, don't play. For real. You can, I'm, man, when I was a kid, I was 17 years old, 16 years old. I was at my dad's church in Clinton. Computers were kind of starting to come on scene. We, my, we had a computer at the church. I had to type a report. So I go, 
And I'm up there late one night because, you know, like a typical teenager, I waited till the last minute to get her done. Skipped all of the class time that I could have used to have gone to the computer lab and typed the report. Man, we've got a computer, I'll do it later. So here it is the night before and I'm up there. It's about 1030 at night. I've come in the, the front glass doors. I've turned on the light there in the hallway. And the office is the first door on the left. I didn't turn on any other lights except for the office light. I go in. I've got the light on. I'm working away. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm knocking it out. Nothing else is going on. It's a small church. You know, seats about 150. Fellowship halls just down. Oh, about from here to the exit sign down this highway. That would be the fellowship halls where it's at. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there. Real quiet, working on that report, and all of a sudden, I hear the back door slam shut. I'm sitting there working. Hello. Hello. Maybe if I don't talk real loud, they won't hear me. You know, you're trying to work it up, right? So here you are, you're, you're just trying to muster the streets. Say, hello. I'm convinced now that it's my dad or my brother, and they're just messing with me, right? Hello. hello. So finally, I, okay, I'm going to man up. I walk out there. I turn on every light in every room as I go by, looking. You know, and you get down there closer, and you kind of start to peek behind the doors, right? You're making your way down. You turn on every light. And then I make my way into the Royal Ranger office. Because there's a hatchet in there, right? So I go in there. <laughs> got to do what you got to do, right? So here I am. I get, the, I get the hatchet. I make my way into the, to the fellowship hall. Hello? Turn on the lights. So I go over to the, to the bathroom. I don't push the door open. No, 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 no. You got to have the hatchet ready, right? So you kick the door open. Hello? And then you're holding it with your elbow. Move the hatchet to your other, right? I mean, freaking out. Why? All because of a... Loud slam door shut. You're like, oh my, 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 my. Here you are, you're looking. Nobody. So I make my way through the fellowship hall. I look in every trash can because they might be hiding. I make my way down the hall to the other classrooms where the nurseries at. I look in every single door. I can find nobody. So I did what every young, strong, strapping young man should do, right? I went, turned out every light, turned off the computer, and went home. <laughs> Done. I don't know who it was or what it was. All I know is I was done. We get terrified. When we think about the storm of our life, all of a sudden you hear a loud clap, slam shut door, a loud overwhelming experience. The storm begins to just descend upon you like you never have seen a storm descend upon you ever in your life. And the overwhelming gale force wind that seems to be out of nowhere that is just pounding your life. And the waves are so high you can't see and you can't imagine how in the world you're going to get out of this. And it sucks the life out of you. And you're going... And you're crying out to Jesus. You're trying to find the strength just to get his name out, just to say the name of Jesus, because there's power in the name of Jesus. We're doing everything we can. Jesus, help. And all of a sudden, you see a ghost, and you're like, oh, my goodness, how can this get any worse? But then, 
in the midst of it because you found the courage to muster the name of Jesus, you hear the voice of him who you called walking on the winds and the waves. And it says in verse 50, Jesus said to them, have courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. When Jesus comes walking on the winds and the waves of our storm, when we call out to him, he says, hey, I have everything that you need. Take courage, child. I'm there. I'm here. Don't be afraid. It goes on. The rest of the passage says that he climbs into the boat with them and the winds and the waves stop. The winds and the waves terrify us. They suck the courage out of us. And yet Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And he climbs into the boat with us. And when he climbs into the boat with us, the first thing that he does is he speaks to us. I wrote in my Bible even this morning as I was just reading back over this passage that God doesn't speak to the storm to calm the storm until he calms his child. So you, you may be facing a really significant storm. You, you may be facing a, a, an unbelievable trial, a major catastrophe, and yet you, you, you've got to just call out. We've got to just cry out to Jesus and then shut up and listen long enough so that he can speak into our hearts to calm us. And once he calms us, he climbs into the boat with us, and everything else just settles down. It may not have actually calmed the storm. Maybe Jesus made the boat rise above the storm. I'm not sure exactly what it means by they calmed, but here's the truth that I do know. The name of Jesus is still known by the winds and the waves. And if he needs to calm those storms in your life, he can. They still know who has the authority over them, and it's the Son of God who climbed into your boat. He will, he will make them stop. Why? Because he has the power. He'll climb into your boat. He'll speak to your heart. He will calm the child and he will calm the storm. Just let him do it. Here's the beautiful part. When we talk about courage, it's the root word. Then we have these other beautiful words like encourage. How many of you have ever been encouraged? And it's awesome, right? Well, it's because somebody put courage in. How many of you have ever had somebody discourage you? Why? Because they said something, some words, that took courage out of you. Sometimes we need to know what is meant, so we need encouragement. We need to have that deposited in our life to make a change with where we're at now. That's the beauty of it. Courage is the beginning of it. It's not an absence of fear. Jesus says, in spite of what you're facing, don't be afraid because I'm with you. It's our ability to cry out to him in spite of it and say, Jesus, I need you right here and right now. Please help me put courage in my heart and in my life and quit allowing the devil to discourage you and take it out. Let Jesus get in the middle of it and trust him with it. If courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to act in spite of it, I wonder what our lives would look like if we chose courage instead of contempt, faith instead of fear, trust instead of loss, hope instead of hopelessness. I wonder what our life would look like. Could we be like David and find the ability to encourage ourselves in the Lord? That when no one else seems to have the words to say, that we can reach into the words of Jesus with one hand, reach down into the depths of our experience naturally with the other, 
together and apply the words of Jesus over it so it's like icing on the cake. Sometimes the cake by itself is not very good. If you load it up with enough icing, it makes everything go down just fine. The story of our life may stink. The story of our life in this moment may be terrible, but when you apply the words of God, it changes everything. It takes something that is not palatable and makes it tasty. It takes something that is not something we want to something that we see as a benefit. That's what the word of Jesus does. But we've got to be able to tap into the power of God's word. We've got to be able to tap into the power of others. I listened to a, a podcast the other day, and Dr. Um, Henry Cloud was speaking, and he told this incredible story about the Navy SEALs. His brother-in-law was a Navy SEAL and died in Iraq in 2008, but he told this story, and I want to relay it to you because it so well says what the power of others are able to do in our lives. See, his his. One of the seals, and I'm just not going to refer to his brother or whatever to tell you the story. One of the seals, they made it through the most difficult part. When they start the seal training process, thousands of the best of the best apply for seal school. That gets whittled down to about 200 over the course of training and testing. From 200, only about 25 will actually pass what's referred to as hell week. They've gone through all the training and it keeps getting whittled down. And little by little, these men and women have to go over and say, I'm going to ring the bell. I'm ringing out. They ring the bell to signify that they couldn't do it any longer and that they're giving up. As one of the seals in the the very last portion of the test there in the Pacific Ocean, he's trying to make it back. And the whole goal of seal school is to break you. So here they are. They're making their way back up to the the shore. They're in the, the surf of the ocean. One of them is on the shore, and his buddy is is failing. Everything in him is failing. His muscles have given up. His body is broken. He can no longer go on. And he realizes he only has about 100 yards left. But he's sinking below the surf line because his body has given up. There's no energy left. There's nothing for the muscle to, to pull from in order to continue to go. It's locked up. And as he's sinking, he sees his buddy on the shoreline, and they lock eyes. And all his buddy from the shore says is, come on! And he can't explain what happened. All of a sudden, his muscles began to move again, and he began to swim and paddle and found the courage and the strength to make it the next hundred yards. And that next hundred yards was the difference between literally dying and literally becoming a seal. And the only way he made it is because his buddy, somehow through two words, come on, deposited in him the courage to overcome what was a debilitating moment, a debilitating event in his life. And as he made his way onto the shore, it forever bonded them. It forever knit their lives together because they leaned on one another to make it through. You see, in the story of our lives, yes, we have to be able to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We have to be able to dig deep when no one else is around. But we also have to be vulnerable enough to be able to lock eyes with someone and say, I need help. 
I need you, and allow them to put courage in us, to deposit courage in our heart and in our lives so that we can overcome what it is that we're facing. See, sometimes that's exactly the, the way the devil works. The wind and the waves are so high and so much that we see our lives sinking below the wave line, below the shoreline, and we don't think that we're going to make it anymore. And the whole time, the devil wants you to give up. He wants you to give up on your kids. He wants you to give up on your marriage. He wants you to give up on your health. He wants you to give up on the promises of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God. He wants you to give up on the family of God. He wants you to ring out, to throw in the towel, and to call it quits. That's what the devil wants. But I want to tell you, do not do it. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't ring out. In the face of the winds and the waves, everything that's going, just be reminded that the winds and the wave, they still know him by name. Everyone else may have given up on you. Everyone else may have written you off. Everyone else may have said there's no way you're going to get past this, but God has a purpose and a plan. He can take someone, even though you may have a name like Simon, that means a reed waving in the wind, Jesus can change your name and your nature and can make you just like Peter, a solid rock that has an incredible foundation built on the words and revelation of who Jesus is. You can overcome. No matter what you have faced, no matter what the story of your life has been, God has a purpose and a plan that will beyond, go beyond anything if we'll simply have courage to trust him and allow that to be deposited in our lives. As we come to a close, I've got a video I want to show you. It's about three minutes. It's a testimony by a man named Ron Archer. It's an incredible story, an incredible testimony of how God's word changed his life. As you watch this video, allow it just to speak to your heart about where you're at. Go ahead. And we call this being turned out. And little by little, she began to sell her 14-year-old body to grown men for money to survive. It's called turning tricks. And at age 16, she got pregnant. We call it having a trick baby. Two strangers meet for a business transaction, and there's a mistake. The pimp said, you can't make any money having a baby in the oven. We have got to kill this baby. They kicked her in the stomach. They fed her alcohol. They gave her drugs. They took a hanger and stabbed the baby over and over again. But the baby would not die. The baby was born two months premature with no pancreas, a learning disability, a bladder too small, unable to function, a severe stutterer. We call it a trick baby. Nobody wants the baby. No hope, no future. Kill it was the word. That baby was me. I'm the lowest of the low. I come from the guttermost. I come from a hellish condition. And so when I would go to school, I couldn't talk. I stuttered so severely from the trauma. My mother had a madam who hated men. Her name was Dolores, and she was a sadist. And when she would watch me, she would take a broomstick and stick it in a place where no boy should have any object in his body. And when you are tortured like that, you learn four things. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't feel and pretend nothing is happening. And by age 10, I had had enough. I want it to die. 
that in my school they put me in a boiler room with other kids who were dysfunctional like me where we would finger paint all day long and yet there was a teacher thank God for her who had a Gideon Bible and she came to my school and she saw kids like me as her mission field and she would give me this Gideon Bible and read to me stories of dysfunctional characters who God used. She would say to me, Ronaldo, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn your pain into power, your wounds into wisdom. She had me read the story of Moses, who was also a stutterer. I began to understand that God did love a trick baby, even as low as I was. There was hope for me and possibility. And when a child begins to understand the love of God and the power of his word and the possibilities, it changes everything. How can a young man keep his way clean by taking heed according to your word? Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I began to memorize the Bible, that Gideon Bible, reading 2,000 scriptures. And when you put that kind of word in a life, something begins to happen. My stuttering went away. I stopped wetting the bed. I stood tall. I became valedictorian, became a pastor and priest until everybody in my family got saved. Why? Because somebody placed the Gideon Bible in a woman's hand that changed a life forever. Yes, I was born a trick baby, but the trick was on the devil because of you and the power of the word of God. Amen. Amen. Aren't you grateful for the power of the word of God? Aren't you grateful that he can put courage inside of you when you lack it? Aren't you grateful that his word can produce anything needed in your life? That he can make a change where it doesn't seem that there could be a change? That he has the ability to overcome any mountain you may face, all with what? The word of God. He can put courage where we have had it robbed. All over this room with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today. And you would say, you know what, Pastor Travis, I have not lived my life according to the word of God. The, 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 the mountain that I face, the winds and the waves, they seem to be overwhelming and over, over everything I have ever gone through. I need Jesus to give me courage to overcome and to conquer. I need some encouragement in my life. I need to be encouraged to have that put in my heart and in my life to accomplish what Jesus wants for me. I need courage just to accept that he loves me no matter what I've done. I need, I need Jesus and his word and his encouragement today. I need him to calm the winds and the waves of my life. And believe me, he has the power to do so. If you're here today, and you would say, Pastor Travis, I, I need some encouragement today. Would you slip up a hand? I need to be encouraged that I can make it, that I can do this. That what I'm facing is not too much. Would you slip up a hand? Come on, if you raise the hand, lift it up high. I need to be encouraged today. I don't know how I'm going to get through what I'm facing. I don't know how I'm going to overcome. I don't know how I'm going to conquer. But I know Jesus does, and today I'm going to see that. I want, I want prayer with that. 
You can put your hands down. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Travis, my life has wandered away from God. I've allowed sin to separate me. And, it, and, and through that process, the devil has discouraged me. He has taken the courage to come back home to Jesus out of my life because sin has separated me from him. But today I want to come home. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Anybody across the room today, that's you. Okay? Here's what I'd like for everyone to do. I'd like everyone all across the room to stand right where you're at, please. I'd like for our prayer team, elders, those of you who are part of the prayer team, if you would come. We've had several that have raised their hand. Now, now folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. If you're here and you would say, you know what, Pastor Travis, I need encouragement. I need God to put courage in my heart and in my life. I need prayer for any reason you need prayer today. We want to pray with you, but if you raised your hand and said, I need to be encouraged, I need Jesus to deposit that in my life. I want to ask you to make your way out. We're, we're, we're going to celebrate with you. We're going to believe that Jesus is going to give you exactly what you need today. So if that's you, you raised your hand, whether you, you raised it or not, but you need courage or you need prayer, we want you to come down. Make your way down and allow us to pray with you. Come on, all over the room. Who's that? Come on, yeah, let's give them a hand. Come on. They're, it's brave. They're taking courage to come and ask for prayer. Come on. Amen. Amen. Come on. Who else? Who else? Come on. If you're here today and you need prayer for anything, any reason at all, we want to pray with you. We want to agree with you for God's word to be proven in your life. Anybody else? Anybody else? You need prayer for any reason. Okay? Come on now. Church family, if you would, just stretch your hands this way and let's begin to agree. We're a family. We believe. If you have a family member up here or a friend, you want to come and lay hands on a shoulder, come on. Jesus, we know that you are faithful to your word and we trust you today. We believe, Jesus, that you will meet us right where we are at. Lord, I pray today for an abundance of your grace and mercy to be ours. Jesus, touch hearts and lives. Minister to them today, Lord healing and wholeness. Allow us to have the courage to see it come to pass. Lord, to stand on your word. Oh, Lord Jesus, do what only you're able to do. Do what only you're able to do, Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus, do what only you're able to do. Hallelujah.